Amen. Thank you, Ben and worship team. And uh, hello, Hallmark. It's good to see you. Hope you're having a good morning and a great, the end of a great week. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther, the book of Esther. And we will start in Esther chapter 3. And uh, I am privileged to close out our series entitled Superheroes. And uh, to have a superhero, you have to have a supervillain. And so we will close out our superhero series with a supervillain. His name is Haman, and we will meet Haman in the book of Esther. Haman is one of the bad boys in the Bible. Uh, Basically because of Haman's evil plan that we'll see in a little bit. And as you turn to Esther 3, I want to read another passage of Scripture to you, Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19 are really Haman's, uh, it's Haman's resume, really. And so as I read through this, these are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. That is essentially Haman's resume. As a matter of fact, if you look at the bulletin outline there for the sermon, you can, you can come up with two truths from the outline before I even give you blanks uh, to fill in this morning. The first truth, Haman's evil. The first three points, Haman's evil. Okay, we could just put a period behind that, and that's, that's pretty much uh, all you need to know about Haman. But the second truth that you'll come away with comes from point four, God is gracious. Haman's evil, God is gracious, let's close our Bibles, you are dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. Please, please hang with me. There's more to this, but just know that Haman is an evil guy. In fact, when you think of the word, uh, of the name Haman, I want you to, to just think, hey man, why are you so evil? Hey man, why are you so evil? He's a bad guy. And while we talk about superheroes in this series, those are people that we want you to emulate in the faith by God's grace. When we talk about supervillains, you're going to learn about characteristics that, as a Christian, you need to eradicate in your life by God's grace. And so you're you're there in Esther 3, and I have to catch you up on this story because Esther is an amazing story in the Bible. Uh, It's just a a few chapters long. I highly encourage you to go home, read the whole story cover to cover. It's a unique book in that God's name is not even mentioned in the entire story of, of Esther, but as you will see, God's hand is working all throughout the story of Esther. So chapter 1 is all about King Ahasuerus. That's the Hebrew uh, translation for the name Xerxes I. How many of you have ever heard of King Xerxes in history? Okay. Uh, he was a very famous king. He ruled over the Persian Empire. And at that time it was massive. 127 provinces. It stretched from India to Ethiopia and it and extended north to Greece. In fact, it was King Xerxes I that defeated King Leonidas of the Spartans. The movie 300, does that ring a bell to anybody? This is that king, okay? But we're going to be using uh, his Hebrew name, Ahasuerus. And uh, so chapter 1 is all about King Ahasuerus, how powerful he is, how wealthy he is. In fact, he wanted to show everyone how wealthy and powerful he was, so he threw a party that lasted 180 days. He invited all of his friends, all of his important people in Persia, and they ate and they drank and then they drank and then they continued to drink some more. And about seven days into this drinking and eating, he said, you know what, everyone needs to see how stunningly beautiful my wife, Queen Vashti, is. So he called for his wife to put on her crown and come and parade herself in front of all of his guests. And you know what Vashti said, ladies? I don't think so. 
no way, Jose, or no way, Ahasuerus, uh, whatever rhymes with that. And she said no, and she insulted the king. And so the king's advisor said, you can't let this stand. Do you realize that the trouble the men in our kingdom will have if they know that the queen stood up to you like that? And so uh, you need to remove her crown and find a new queen. And so Ahasuerus has this big beauty pageant throughout all of his kingdom. And now we meet Esther. Esther is a young, beautiful, very beautiful girl. The Bible says that she's lovely. She's very beautiful. And uh, she's from um, her homeland in Jerusalem. But her ancestors were brought by King Nebuchadnezzar to the land of Persia long ago. And she uh, actually grew up without a mom and a dad. She didn't have a mom and a dad. So her older cousin, Mordecai, raised her as his own daughter. And Esther was very beautiful. And so she wins the beauty pageant. King Ahasuerus queens, uh, crowns Esther as queen of the, of the Persian Empire. And Mordecai, her older cousin, hangs close by to see that she's okay, that everything's well with Queen Esther. He hangs out within the gates. While Mordecai is there, he overhears a plot to overthrow King Ahasuerus. He tells Esther the queen. Esther the queen tells the king in her, or in her cousin's name, Mordecai, gives him credit. And the plot is uncovered. The two men are killed. And everything is recorded down in the king's records. That will bring us up to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is where we're introduced to Haman, the bad boy of the Bible. So let's begin reading in Esther chapter 3, verse 1. It says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. And all the king's servants who were within the king's gates bowed and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were with the king's, within the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? Now it happened when they spoke to him daily, and he would not listen to them, that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. The first thing we discover about Haman's evil heart is that it was filled with evil pride. Number one, Haman's evil pride. Before we start dogging on Haman, I want you to understand that Haman must have been a pretty impressive individual. He was not a Persian. He came from outside of Persia. He was an immigrant, forced immigration, really. And he came into this kingdom, and as an outsider, it says that he was a descendant of Agag, King Agag. Now, if you've been to church for a long time and studied the Bible, King Agag should re ring a bell for you. King Agag was king of the Amalekite people. Do you remember the story between Saul and King Agag? Saul was commanded by God to eradicate the Amalekite people. He spares the king. Samuel's really mad. He cuts, cuts Agag to pieces. The Old Testament's really exciting. You ought to read it sometime. And, and, but Haman is a direct descendant of King Agag. He is an Amalekite. That's pretty important for what we're going to talk about later. So as an outsider, he advances to the second most powerful position in the Persian Empire. To me, this says that Haman was a pretty sharp guy. He had it together. He had some skills. He was probably great administratively. He had a, probably a great personality. People liked Haman. You're going to read later that he had some, some pretty close friends. And he advanced himself to the second most powerful position in Persia. 
everybody that was below Haman was ordered to bow in his presence. This is a pretty successful guy. He was promoted to second in command. Think of some of the other second in commands throughout the Old Testament, and you'll realize that Haman's a pretty sharp guy. Uh, Joseph in Egypt comes to mind. Remember how wise Joseph was? And God exalted Joseph and put him in the second most uh, powerful position in Egypt. Daniel comes to mind. God elevates Daniel, also an outsider, to the second most powerful position. And so now we have Haman. Haman's a sharp guy. But the problem with Haman is not his position. It's not his prosperity that came along with his position. It's not his possessions. It's not his popularity. It is his pride. You know, pride comes from an inflated view of ourselves. Uh, in fact, a good definition for pride is it, is it is a perverted perception of reality. You actually begin to think that you're better than everybody else. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you look at yourself as more than you really are, you suffer from pride. I want you to help me this morning. I want you to look at somebody seated next to you and just say this. Say, you're great. You're great. Now look at, now look at the same person and say, you're not that great. <laughs> you see how pride can creep in? Pride is so sneaky and sinister. But Haman thought that he was great. I mean, wouldn't you? If you experienced what Haman Experienced, if you were promoted to the second most powerful position in all of Persia, if everywhere you went, people bowed down and paid homage to you, he said, man, I'm pretty important. In fact, Haman's friends probably said, hey, man, you're successful. You have made it. You got it made. And he started to think that he deserved it. In fact, he probably thought he was a little like God. But Haman Because of the pride in his heart, it led him to rage when he saw one man named Mordecai within the king's gates who refused to bow. He looked over. He sees this old man refusing to bow. And he could have said, I wonder why that guy's not bowing down like everybody else. Probably because he realizes I'm just a man. If I were him, I probably wouldn't bow either. And he could have let it ride. But he couldn't do that. You know why? Pride. He had to make The one man in the kingdom that wouldn't bow, he had to make him pay. He was filled with rage, filled with bitterness. And I think that bitterness starts with this idea, I'm better than this. I'm better than this Jew, and he's not bowing to me. I'm better than this job. I'm better than this relationship. And bitterness springs up in our heart because of pride. We think we're better than this. Haman was filled with pride, evil pride, And he vowed that Mordecai would pay. Let's look at verse 6 now in chapter 3. It says, But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. So, the second thing we see about Haman's evil heart, the first is Haman's evil pride. The second thing we see is Haman's evil prejudice. He discovers that Mordecai is a Jew. Well, the Amalekites and the Jews go way back. 
And you know, when you start thinking about why wouldn't Mordecai obey the king's command and, and bow before him? I mean, come on, is it really a big deal? Well, there's two possible reasons why Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. The first is, is through piety. He was a pious Jew, and he knew Exodus 23, 20 verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Maybe, Haman, or maybe Mordecai was such a faithful, pious man, a Jewish a believer in the one true God, that he refused to bow to anyone but his God. And so maybe Mordecai was, was, was pious. Maybe the second reason, though, I think is more probable, maybe he was prejudiced. Think about it. Mordecai was a Jew. Haman was an Amalekite. There was a long-standing prejudice between Amalekites and Jews. It went all the way back to the Exodus. You remember when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and they wandered in the desert, the wilderness, for 40 years? Well, the Amalekites were a nomadic people. They would repeatedly attack the children of Israel. They would swing in and pick off those stragglers that were in the back and steal their stuff over and over and over again. They were a plague to the children of Israel, so much so that when Israel finally had a king, God ordered King Saul to totally annihilate and eradicate all the Amalekites from the face of the earth. This is how big of a plague they were to the children of Israel, but King Saul thought he knew better. He spares the king, who would eventually be slain by the prophet Samuel, but some of King Agag's descendants survived, and Haman was one of those descendants. There is no love lost between the Amalekites, and the Jews. They hated each other. And Mordecai knew that Haman was an Amalekite. Maybe because of Mordecai's prejudice, he didn't bow. Nevertheless, we know that Haman responded to this prejudice with more prejudice. Isn't that often the case? You find some prejudice in your society, and it so bothers you that you respond with greater prejudice? You see racism, and so you respond with greater racism. You, you hear hate, and you respond with greater hate. Uh, is that the solution to prejudice, by the way? No. The solution to prejudice is just to smother it. You don't give racism and prejudice airtime because it just fuels the fire. And you'll see that here in this text. Maybe Mordecai refused to bow to Haman because he was an Amalekite. Well, because of that, he said not only... Am I going to mess with your face? I'm going to mess with your whole race. I'm going to destroy not just you, but all the Jewish people in the kingdom. And so his selfish pride fuels his sinister prejudice, and hatred spills out. And he says, I won't be satisfied until every Jew, every man, woman, and child is annihilated off the face of the earth. And so we see Haman's evil pride and Haman's evil prejudice fueling Haman's evil plan. Number three, Haman's evil plan. Look at chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. It says, In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that is the lot, for Haman to determine the day and month until it fell on the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman sent to King Ahasuerus, or said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from all other peoples, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. If it pleases 
If it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were called on the 13th day of the first month, and a decree was written according to all that Haman commanded, to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language. In the name of King Ahasuerus it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. And the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. By the way, that's a Hebrew calendar. And so it's basically March 7th was the day of the purge, if you will. A copy of the document was to be issued as law in every province being published for all people, that they should be ready for that day. The couriers went out, hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan, the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Shushan was perplexed. Haman's evil plan. And notice how Haman's pride and prejudice led him to twist the truth and manipulate even the king. Look at verse 8. It says, he says to the king, there's a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. That's true. Their laws are different from all other people's. That's true. They do not keep the king's laws false. There was one that failed to keep the king's law. He said they do not keep the king's laws. He's, he's painting the picture of a huge uprising to King Ahasuerus. He's twisting the truth to get his way. Therefore, it's not, let, not fitting for the king to let them remain. He wanted every Jewish man, woman, and child to be eradicated because one man refused to bow to him. He was even willing to pay for it. He offered the king 10,000 talents of silver. Now, that doesn't mean much to us today, but do you realize that that's 750,000 pounds of silver? Think about that. 750,000 pounds of silver would be worth uh, over $144 million dollars. Haman was a well-to-do man. He had a lot of possessions. He was willing to give all of that to eradicate the Jews. Pride and prejudice can make you do some crazy things. What could cause a man who was, who was so successful and comfortable to become a sadistic killer? I call it rule rage. He had rule rage. Pride and prejudice, power, it corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. Some of you, you have no idea what I, say, what I talk about when I say rule rage, so let me talk about something you do understand. How about road rage? I know that none of you struggle with road rage, but let me describe to you what it is because you're probably totally unaware of what road rage is. Road rage is this. You're driving along, minding your own business, in a fairly decent mood. And all of a sudden, some crazy person cuts you off or they come flying up behind you like there's some emergency and they ride your bumper and they swerve around. They might honk at you. They might flash your lights. And then you simply pray for them and you quietly <laughs> proceed to your destination. Is that what happens? No. Something out of the blue just boils up inside of you. And all of a sudden this, I'm better than this guy, 
and you just start getting enraged, and you become Mad Max in the Thunderdome, man, and you want to destroy this human being and his Prius or whatever he's, whatever he's driving. Road rage. Road rage. Well, Haman had rule rage. He, he was going along doing great. He was comfortable. He was successful. And all of a sudden, pride got the best of him, and it and, and prejudice just rose up inside, and he went from being second in command to the number one killer in the kingdom. He wanted to destroy not just Mordecai, but every man, woman, and child that was a Jew. He wanted to make them pay, and he was willing to pay for it. Can you imagine being a Jew at that time, living somewhere in the Persian kingdom, knowing that a date had been set nearly 12 months from now where your neighbors will pounce on you and your family and kill you and take your stuff. It's the first recorded purge in history. When March 7th dawns, you're dead. You and your family, you're dead. As you can imagine, Mordecai mourned. He clothed himself in sackcloth and wept and cried out, and people were confused as the king and Haman drank. Not only that, but in Esther 5, chapter 5, later, later on, Haman's friends suggested not only that he should eradicate all the Jews, but that he build a 75-foot wood structure in front of his house on which to kill Mordecai. Look at Esther chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 9 through 14. So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart, but when, he, when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, He was filled with indignation against Mordecai. There's his pride. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home and sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman told them of his great riches, the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him, and how he had advanced him above all the officials and servants of the king. Moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow I am again invited with her, or by her, along with the king. Yet all this avails me nothing so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. He had success, he had prosperity, and yet pride robbed him of his peace. Then his wife Zeresh and and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made, fifty cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. Now, That text there, uh, verse 14 there, in the original language is a little vague when it talks about the gallows. It talks about a wood structure, 50 cubits or 75 feet high, but the idea of a gallows and a hangman's noose and hanging someone is really a Western idea. I mean, we think of the Old West when we think of hang them high, you know? But the Persians didn't execute people like that. The Persians instead sharpened poles and they would impale someone and lift them up high for all to see. A little, little more gruesome. And so because this original translation is a little vague, some of our Bible translations differ. How many of you are reading from a New International Version or a New Living Translation this morning? Raise your hand. Okay, it literally says uh, a sharpened pole, right? 75 feet high. And so they, they went with kind of the historical records of how Persians executed people. Other translations just went with the Western idea of a gallows. Either way, his friends suggest something horrible 
for Mordecai's faith. They said, hey, build a wooden structure 75 feet high and hang Mordecai on it in your front yard. And this actually pleased Haman. That's what a hateful heart will do to you. Pride and prejudice will eat away at your heart and it will rot you into doing things you never could have imagined that you would do before. And so, the Jews fasted and prayed. And of course, if you've read the story of Esther, you know that Mordecai reached out to Queen Esther and said, you have to help us. And so Esther made a plan. She was going to prepare a banquet for the king and for Haman. And she was going to win him over and then eventually expose Haman's plot. All the while, God orchestrating all of this stuff. And that brings us to number four. Throughout all of this, we see God's gracious providence. We see Haman's evil pride, Haman's evil prejudice, Haman's evil plan, and here we see God's gracious providence. Now, I want to read to you what transpires all the while I'm reading, think God's providence, God's providence. And this is a lot of scripture, so buckle up, it's the Bible, this is good for you. Uh, Esther chapter 6, verse 1, that night the king could not sleep, I wonder why. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles that they were read before the king. And it was found, written, that Mordecai had told Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? He reads about the plot that was foiled to take his life and and realizes that Mordecai saved his life. What has been done? for Mordecai about this. And the king's servants who attended him said nothing has been done for him. So the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court, go figure, of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, thinking of himself, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and the horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback throughout the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. He was humiliated. By the way, when you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. God's providence will see to it. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. Chapter 7, verse 1. So the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second On the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? 
it shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Up to half of the kingdom. It shall be done. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And Esther said, the adversary and enemy is the wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. Then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw the evil was determined against him by the king. When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, or the tall, sharpened pole, 50 cubits high, 75 feet high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. The king said, Hang him on it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Thomas A. Kempis says this, man proposes but God disposes. Proverbs 16:9. a man's heart plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. God's name may not be mentioned in the entire book of Esther but the providence of God is seen all throughout. The providence of God is the hand of God and the glove of history. Manipulating events to accomplish his will. Why couldn't the king sleep and rest the night before? Because God troubled his sleep. God is the one who arranged for the king's servant to read the historical records at just the right place so that Mordecai would be remembered and that Haman would be humiliated. God is the one who designed Esther just so, so that she would win the approval of the king and gain his favor. God is in control. He's in control. Joni Erickson taught us, says, nothing is a surprise to God, nothing is a setback to his plans, nothing can thwart his purpose, and nothing is beyond his control. There's an old preacher, J. Vernon McGee, that used to say this, this is God's universe and he does things his way. You may think you have a better way, but you don't have a universe. That's so true. So it seems that Haman's prideful and prejudicial plan backfired because of a beautiful princess? No, it backfired because of God's gracious providence. God was in control. He would protect his people. Now, if you were to read on in chapter 8, you'd see that the king, because it's the law of the Medes and the Persians, could not, could not retract his edict that he initially sent out. But he was able to send a new one that said that Jews had the king's permission to defend themselves and to kill their enemies and there would be attackers on that very day. And so the Jews that were trembling in fear began to prepare and by the time March 7th rolled around, the purge uh, was about to take place when the sun came up, the Jews were ready and they defeated their enemies. In fact, when it was all said and done, they had killed 75,000 of their enemies with the king's permission in the kingdom. They didn't plunder, they didn't take from any 
of the people that they killed. They just defended themselves. And also included in that number were Haman's ten sons. You know how they disposed of them? The same way they disposed of Haman. High upon a gallows or high upon a pole. Haman's plan was reversed by God's providence. And Haman perished on a pole that he fastened with his pride and he sharpened with his prejudice. He died hanging high for all to see. Turn over in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 7, verses 14 through 16. This is a verse I want to close out with today. Psalm 7, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he has made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealings shall come down on his own crown. Pride and prejudice have ugly ends. And there's only one remedy for an evil heart. There's only one remedy, and I'm going to give it to you today. The only remedy for an evil heart is repentance and faith in a gracious God. Haman had multiple opportunities to avoid this fate. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, his position and his prosperity was not his problem. It was his pride. He could have swallowed his pride and just let it ride, but he couldn't do it. He gave into it, and then it fueled his prejudice and then before you know it he's making evil plans and he's going against God if he would have simply acknowledged the fact that there is a God and I'm not him and I understand why Mordecai's not bowing I'm just a a man he would have avoided humiliation he would have avoided destruction of his family now you may not think that you have much in common with hateful Haman this morning But let's be honest with ourselves. What rises up inside of us when someone cuts us off in traffic or someone other than us yells at our kids? What rises up inside of us when the 4th of July was four days ago, but my neighbor is still setting off fireworks at 2 in the morning? I'm not speaking from personal experience. I'm just saying it's four days ago. What rises up in us when we see a political post on social media that we disagree with? Is it love and compassion for a lost world? Or is it sinful pride and hateful prejudice? Unfortunately, while we would like to relate more with Esther in the story, I think we have a lot more in common with Haman's hateful heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God knows it. God knows your heart. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. Pride and prejudice comes natural to us, doesn't it? And the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. You see, we're sinners, we're all prideful. We're all prejudiced to some degree. And we need a heart transplant. Or we will suffer the same fate as Haman. You see, because when you're harboring an evil heart of hate, you're against God. When you begin to hate certain people 
Those are people that Jesus loves. Those are people that Jesus came to save because they're lost. We have to be careful, especially in this great nation. And I'm not going to get all political. You know, I love America. We celebrated America's independence uh, this last, this past Wednesday. And I love America. I'm so thankful that I was born here and and the freedoms that I have and that generations of my family have enjoyed because of men and women who fought and died for my freedom. I give thanks for that. I celebrate that. But listen, America, we need to be careful with our position, with our prosperity, with our power, because it can lead to, it can lead to pride. It can lead to prejudice. And we'll begin hating people that God sent his son to die for. You see, John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so loved the white conservative American that he sent his only son. No, it doesn't say that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's a message of love not of pride and prejudice. Nations rise and fall. Persia is no more. Rome is no more. One day, America will be no more. It's not in the book of Revelation. We serve a greater kingdom. We serve a greater purpose. My Savior doesn't live in the White House. And when he comes back for his church, he won't be riding on Air Force One. We don't get into heaven draped in the American flag. We get into heaven covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that message is for everybody everywhere. So be careful because, hey, man, we are just as evil. You, man, me, man, we're just as evil as, hey, man. We need a heart transplant. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your Bow your heads, close your eyes. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that God is gracious. I'm thankful that God is merciful. And I'm thankful that he said, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Are you filled with pride this morning? Do you have prejudice in your heart? I do. What's the solution? There's only one solution. Repentance. To repent means to turn around from the direction you're going. To turn away from sin and your self-effort. And to put your trust solely on Jesus Christ and his finished work for you on the cross. Without repentance and faith, there's no hope for an evil heart. You may cruise along for a little while. But like Haman, it's going to end badly for you judgment is coming Psalm 103 verses 8 through 9 says God is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in mercy and I love that verse but then verse 9 says he will not always strive with us nor will he keep his anger forever God's going to judge sin and you will stand there condemned without the shed blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf the good news is that that price has already been paid Jesus came He lived a life you could never live, filled with love, filled with grace. And then he laid his life down so that you and I, filled with hateful hearts, could have hope in him. All you have to do is turn from your sin and trust in him.
for salvation. Are you here this morning and you need to turn from your pride and your prejudice? You need to trust Jesus Christ for salvation. No one's looking around. I'm not going to make a spectacle of you or embarrass you in any way. I just want to pray for you. If you're here and you need to trust Christ as your Savior, will you slip your hand up? And right back down, just slip it up long enough. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Just say, I need to trust Christ. Slip your hand up right back down. Thank you very much. In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to come forward. We have people up here at the front with a Bible in hand ready to show you how you can be saved, ready to show you how God, by His grace, can take your hateful heart and change you and make you a new creature through Jesus Christ. Just come forward in a few moments and say, I need to get saved. Maybe you're here this morning and this this message hit home. Maybe you feel like Haman today and you're filled with pride and prejudice. Hey, welcome to the club. We need to confess our sin. We need to repent and get right before God. God will never use us when we're filled with pride. God will never use us when we're filled with prejudice. You need to lay it down today and turn away and walk away from that. I'm going to invite you as, as Ben sings in a few moments to come forward and just repent and say, God, forgive me and use me for your glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this warning from the life of Haman. Lord, we don't have to experience his fate. We don't have to cave into our pride and prejudice, but we need your help, Holy Spirit. We need you to regenerate our heart, to give us a new heart, and then we need you to live through us, Lord. Help us to be loving. Help us to see a lost world through your eyes. And instead of pride rising up in us, instead of prejudice rising up in us and hate coming um, to the forefront, Lord, help us to, to have love just come to the surface and realize that it's those people that you came to die for. You came to die for a sinner like me, Lord. Help us to see that. Have your way now in this invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need to come this morning, if you need to be saved, if you need to repent and pray, I invite you.